Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet, bringing the world's top experts right to you. Introducing your hosts, Matt Bodner and Austin Fable. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast, still number one on the internet with over 5 million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. I'm your host, Austin Fable, and today we've got an absolutely incredible interview for you with Carol Klein and Gay Hendricks. We dig into how to develop luck for oneself. How do we find more luck in our lives? Is luck just up to the fates, or is there a way we can manifest luck? to follow us around and to experience more of it in our lives and our endeavors. Tune in to find out. But before we dig in, are you enjoying the show and the content we put out each week? I'm sure you are. Do two things for me if you don't mind. They're going to only take you a couple of seconds, but they're going to be super helpful for Matt and I. First, leave us a quick five-star review on the podcast listening platform of your choice. It helps others like you find the show. It doesn't have to be long. We don't have to write a novel here, but just a little something, throw the five stars. It helps other people find the show. Come on, do yourself and them and us a favor. Take two seconds. Next, go to our homepage, www.successpodcast.com. Sign up for that email list. You're going to be the first to know about everything going on at the Science of Success, as well as get exclusive content you're not going to get anywhere else. The first thing you're going to get is a course we made called How to Make Time for What Matters Most in Your Life. Now, if you're on the go, if you're traveling for the holidays, if it's that time of year, just text SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222, and that'll get you signed up on the email list directly from your phone. If you haven't already, check out last week's episode with Peter Shallard. It's great, and if you're going to hit your goals in 2021, it's an absolute must-listen. On this episode, we interviewed two guests, Carol Klein and Gay Hendricks. Gay Hendricks is a psychologist, writer, and teacher in the field of personal growth, relationships, and body intelligence. He is known for his work 
and relationship enhancement and in the development of conscious breathing exercises. After receiving his PhD in psychology from Stanford University in 1974, Gabe began teaching at the University of Colorado. He spent 21 years at the University of Colorado and became a full professor in the counseling psychology department while founding the Hendricks Institute. Carol Klein is a five-time New York Times bestselling author who has spent her career teaching, writing, and speaking about consciousness and personal growth. Over the last 30 years, Carol has co-authored more than a dozen books with some of the world's top transformational leaders, including Jack Canfield, previous guest on the show, and Mark Victor Hansen of Chicken Soup of the Soul fame. Marcy Shimoff, Lisa Nichols, and Gay Hendricks, to name just a few more. Those books include Happy for No Reason, Love for No Reason, You've Got to Read This Book, which we discussed in the interview, best title I've ever heard, The Ultimate Dog Lover and The Ultimate Cat Lover, as well as five books in the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. Her most recent work with Gay Hendricks is Conscious Luck, Eight Secrets to Intentionally Change Your Fortune, which we had a great time digging into today. The interview has a ton of stories, a lot of laughs. We really did have a great time. Without further ado, here's our interview with Carol Klein and Gay Hendricks. Carol, Gay, welcome to the Science of Success. Thank you for having us. Thanks a lot, Austin. It's really great to be with you. Absolutely. We really appreciate you guys, appreciate you guys taking the time. And uh, I know there's been some scheduling hiccups, so thank you for uh, sticking there with us. But I, I really want to just jump right in. So you've written this book, Conscious Luck, together. What was it like to write the book as a joint effort? And what spurred on the creation of the book? Was there something going on in the world today or an experience that might have kind of catalyzed the writing of the book? Well, I've already uh, always loved the art of collaboration. And for example, my wife and I, Kathleen Hendricks, Katie, she and I have co-authored 10 books together over the past 40 years that we've been together. So I'm really used to collaborating. And when it came time for this book, Carol, <laughs> dear friend of mine who lives across town from me, and uh, it's a subject that uh, she was fascinated by too. So we just kind of kept uh, bumping into each other at the farmer's market, and I'd tell her a little bit more about it. And finally, one day she said yes, and we signed on. And it's been an absolute delight because <laughs> if you want to collaborate on a book, it's best to collaborate with someone who's an absolute angel. And that's how Carol shows up in the world. And one way she does it is uh, by being a, a brilliant writer. So it was great all the way collaborating with her. Well, I think I want to just add to that, that for me, this was an incredible example of conscious luck in that I had seen Gay's manuscript. We wrote this together sort of 10 years apart, I think. And then we, we, we brought it all together. It's a a very uh, odd kind of collaboration is that Gay wrote the main part of this book and sent it to me as an editor, and it haunted me. I had never heard those two words together, conscious and luck. How the heck? And he had sent it to me for my opinion. I gave him my opinion. He went off and did something else. And that book just sat in my mind, in my heart for almost seven years, just like he's got to write that book. He's got to write that book. And finally I did. I bumped into him. He's so funny. He's very modest. I bumped into him. I'm like, gay, what are you going to do with that book? And <laughs> gay said, you know, I'm writing, uh, I'm writing detective fiction now. I'm, it's not on my, it's not on my front burner right now. So I took the uh, advice of our own book, which I found out later is one of the secrets of conscious luck is being bold. You know, they had that uh, Roman proverb, fortune favors the bold. And I called Gay and I asked him if we could collaborate. 
And it was the most, one of the most wonderful experiences in my life to work with Gay and to learn, you know, I would, we would talk, I would learn something from him, we would write it up, we would discuss it. And it was a, a joy from beginning to end. That's fascinating. And I love the, the kind of history lesson here. Uh, you know, I'm just curious, how long have you all known each other and how did you meet? <laughs> well, uh, actually, Carol, way back about 15 years ago, through Jack Canfield. Jack Canfield and I have been <laughs> friends from way back in the 70s, I guess. And I actually helped Jack get his first book published. That's how long we've been friends. <laughs> and so uh, Jack and I hatched an idea and then invited Carol into the mix, uh, we uh, wrote a book called uh, You've Got to Read This Book. It was a collection of 50 or so stories of people whose lives had been changed by a book, prominent people. And so we really had a great time writing that book together. So that's basically, I've known uh, Carol now for a fourth or a quarter of my life, something like that. <laughs> Man, yeah, great that company. Was my, that was my favorite book, uh, I think. At that, to that point that I'd ever written, it was, uh, you know, I got to talk to people about books and books are my thing. So about books that had changed their lives. It was fascinating. I got to say hats off to you all. The title, you've got to read this book, definitely <laughs> is a great way to move, move some product, I would say. <laughs> Thank you. So you all, let's dig in here. I'm, I'm super fascinated by this topic. And we've had a number of other folks on the show to discuss kind of the how intentional luck and conscious luck can really manifest in your life. But let's just start, you know, at the easiest place, the beginning. What is conscious luck? Conscious luck is being in the right place at the right time. It's learning how to make some shifts in your mind and your body so that you get supported by the luck that's already there. Uh, I know on your podcast that you like to focus on things that have a scientific basis. And one of the great connections we made, I got my doctorate from Stanford in 1974. And there is a professor there now named Tina Selig, who does research on conscious luck. And we made a good connection with her and Carol was able to interview her. And so that really got us down the path of finding things, finding scientific support for the things in our book. And one of the things that Tina said to us, which has really become a kind of a high water mark of our concept, is that luck is not like a lightning strike or a bolt of action, bolt of lightning kind of thing. It's really more like the wind, that it's always there. And our job as human beings who want to be luckier, are our job is to really learn to harness the motion of those winds, just like a bird does. You know, if you notice a bird flying through the sky, they're not up there wildly flapping their wings, trying to stay up. They're just kind of cruising along using the currents of the wind under their wings. And that was a pivotal moment for us when we started thinking of luck that way. And so I'd always had a kind of a feeling that it was like that, but it, it that gave me a great metaphor. And I really appreciate Dr. Selig for uh, bringing that to our attention. Yes. And part of that, uh, that, you know, quote that we quote her on about the luck not being um, isolated and dramatic, but a wind that's always blowing, is she mentioned that you have to build a sail, as Gay said, to harness that wind, to ride that wind. And how do you build that sail? That's what our book became. It was an organizing metaphor for us that we pre present four internal shifts you need to make 
to raise the sail to harness luck, and then four daily practices. And a lot of those are based in the positive psychology literature on luck. And it's interesting how it overlaps a bit with the benefits of optimism, learned optimism versus learned helplessness, and about you know resilience and buoyancy and all the things and you know clear focus with a broad awareness. All these things come about and they seem to be a cluster of qualities around people who are self-described as lucky. So what does it mean to commit to being lucky? Because I've heard you guys speak about that before in some of our guest research. And, you know, I've just I've got a number of branches to go off from there. But but what does that mean? I mean, is that just me sitting down and saying, like, I'm going to find luck in in everything today? Because, I mean, even the the wind and lightning analogy, like something that jumps out to me is it's very hard to miss lightning, right? I mean, it grabs your attention. It, it, it It's unavoidable. But the wind you kind of have to have a different approach. I mean, obviously, you have a gale force wind, you'll notice, but it's kind of one of those subtle things in life that can be extremely beautiful if, if you're paying attention. But if you're not, if you're looking at your phone, whatever you might be doing, it's very easy to miss. So how do we actually have this intentional act of committing to being lucky? Yes, that's really key because there are really, in fact, that's the opening chapter of the book is how to do that. I'll give your listeners a uh, quick 10 second way to do that in a moment. But the idea is that anything important in life, you have to have two things, really. You have to have a willingness to have it happen. So you need to start with a willingness to be luckier every day. Just kind of open your mind to it. That's the starting point. And then you really get going, though, if you will make a commitment to it. To And here's the 10 second part. Just take a moment right now and say, I commit in your mind, just say, I commit to being luckier every day of my life. That gives you a new focal point for your mind to grasp onto. It introduces a new idea into your mind, this idea of being luckier every day of your life. That means being luckier tomorrow than you are today and the succeeding days continuing to, to be open to and be more sensitive to the fluctuations of those wind currents. And you made a, a key phrase a moment ago, Austin, when you said paying attention, because really that's a key to it in a way, because once you get willing and make a commitment, then the job is to be sensitively aware of what's going on around you. And I tell some stories in the book. One was a story of being in the right place at the right time, but what it took to get there. And quickly, the story was that I was, uh, my plane deposited me late at uh, Dallas-Fort Worth Airport one time, and my plane to catch was on the completely opposite end of this huge airport where I had to take a train and walk and so forth. And so as I was rushing madly along to try to catch my plane, I saw on the board that my plane had boarded. And so I kind of eased up and said, okay, well, let me go on down there and see. But I, I kind of let go of being in a hurry and just kind of got in harmony and was taking a pleasant walk through an airport. So I was feeling good. And I got down to the plane just as the following drama happened. There was a guy shouting at the clerk on the podium. A guy was shouting, hey, I must get to 
wherever it was. And he was saying, my name is Humphrey T. Norton III, and you will not treat me this way, and I'm going to sue you for every dollar you have. And he was on a total airplane rant. And I could see the poor clerk was just kind of sweating it out, and his eyes were lowered and everything. And he was saying, well, I'm sorry, but you know, the door is closed. You got here too late. We're happy to help you if you'll go to the service center, et cetera. And so I just kind of watched this. And then after that guy ran up the, he went up the concourse shouting and waving his fist and so forth. And I stepped up into the place and I just kind of waited for a moment. And finally the clerk looked up at me and I said, sounds like a pretty rough day around here. I got here late, um, but I suppose it looks like the plane is already boarded. And he said, yes, I'm sorry. And just then the door to the gateway down uh, jetway opened and one of the flight attendants, attendants came jogging up to the podium and whispered in the clerk's ear that, I'm sorry, we miscounted. We do have a seat in first class. And so <laughs> conscious luck, you know, I saw the clerk actually glance up the concourse at where the angry guy was departing and just saw a little smirk come onto the clerk's face, you know, and then he looked at me and said, yes, we, we did miscount. We have one seat <laughs> left in first class. And so I went from not being able to get on the plane to sitting there sipping a beverage in first class within about 30 seconds. And so that's an example of the kind of shifts you have to make to get into harmony with what's going on so that you're in the right place for these kind of conscious luck miracles to happen. It's such a great story. And it reminds me of one that was shared by Dr. Richard Wiseman on a previous episode. And I'm, I'm going to butcher it entirely, but it was this woman and they, they were interviewing folks in a luck study. And basically she said, she was extremely lucky, but they went through all these events. And in the span of a month, it was like her house had burnt down, her dog had run away. And then like on the way to the fire department after the her house burnt down, she got into a car accident and broke her leg. And she was like, it, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me because when she was at the hospital, there was this cute nurse who was attending to her and they got married. And this was like five years after. And if she had been so wrapped up in like, woe is me and crying, which would have been understandable by any measure of, you know, any, any sort of thought as what would be like, you know, a tragedy of a month, she might've missed, you know, talking to this guy and having this conversation. And she kind of like was balanced, but to her, she said that it was like the best month of her life because in her mind, she was so lucky because all those events had led her to what was long-term happiness. But if she had seen all those events as these big boulders that she couldn't get over or that were going to like consume her emotionally, she wouldn't have had the awareness to strike up that conversation or even pick up on some cues that he might've been putting down that led to her having two kids, a nice house and a great marriage. Yeah. That is, oh, I'm sorry. I just wanted to say Richard Wiseman is another one of the people that is a pioneer of luck research. And one of the things he had, and we have this, this idea that you said of looking at what happens to you through the lens of, could this be lucky? It did, you know, she didn't have to do that because it became clear very you know, quickly that she had been led there to meet this man. And Gay's story, we call that centered way that he was walking that anybody can reproduce in their own lives, their essence pace. And one of my favorite parts of the book was learning about essence pace from Gay and him telling me this story and then trying it myself. This is something I want to make sure that people know they can, they're going to find that part of your inner GPS, 
which is how we recommend one of the secrets, the daily practices, is you pay attention to being centered while you're moving. You pay attention to your intuition. You pay attention to your moral compass. And those things will get you to the right place at the right time. I had a great example of that on another occasion. In fact, I wouldn't be here without a thing that happened in 1982. I was invited to a party that I didn't really want to go to, but I was <laughs> in my uh, early days of my relationship with uh, my now wife of 39 years. And so Katie and I had gone to this party. And the reason I, I wasn't keen on going, it was an engagement party for a colleague of mine, another psychologist. And he was getting engaged and he was getting married for the fifth time. And I'd been around for two, three and four, and I didn't have a lot of confidence about number five. And, and so uh, I would have sooner just sat home and uh, wished him well telepathically. But uh, Katie wanted to go to the party. And so we went to the party and it was in a big mansion. And I've never been a real great party guy anyway. And I so I wandered off into the library of this mansion. They had this beautiful library. And so I was the only person in there and I could hear the racket of the party in the other part of the house and the band and everything. But I was just having some quiet time looking through the books on the uh, shelf. And this gentleman came in who was a very tall, thin man with a with bald head. And he was about 20 years older than I was. So I, he would have been about, oh, maybe... 55 to 60 at the time. And we struck up a conversation. We bonded over the fact that uh, he said something about, looks like you don't like small talk any more than I do. And I said, that's right. you know. And so I forget which one of us said, well, well, let's jokingly, we said, well, let's have some big talk. And he said, okay, I almost died six months ago, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I said, wow, that's a great opening bid for a conversation. And so we got into this conversation about what had happened for him was being up against death's door for six or for a few months. He had used it as the opportunity to figure out what was missing from his life and what he had missed out on if and what would, what he had valued in his life. But it put him up against the end of his life suddenly. And he did this big evaluation. And so. The bottom line was he had come out of that with five goals for his life. He kind of made this promise that, okay, if I come out of this, I'm going to do these five things. And so then he turned to me and he said, if you were up against death's door tonight, what would be the five things that you did that made your life a complete success? And it was kind of an odd, odd moment, but it set off a chain of thought in me that changed my life because I realized, well, I was there with my to-be wife, but we hadn't made a decision to get married or anything yet. So I realized in that moment that the number one thing I wanted to accomplish or experience in my life that would give my life where I would say my life was a total success was I needed to create a relationship with a woman with whom I could grow and change over a long period of time, that I'd never had that kind of long over period of years relationship where we really work together to build something. And I realized, you know, what's the use in having a PhD in counseling psychology from Stanford if I can't learn to get along with one other person, you know? And so I, uh, 
so I realized my life would be a failure if I got to the end of my life and I hadn't done those things. So bottom line is it it caused me to reevaluate what I really wanted for my life. And our big invitation in Conscious Luck is to do that also, because another one of the key things we get to in the early part of the book is to how to develop what we call luckworthy goals. And that, Carol, really helped flesh out that part of the book. And But to me, luckworthy goals is a key concept that I want everybody to, to remember. Yeah, that's great. I think that that kind of reflection and that kind of exercise, you know, I've heard it phrased in different ways too. It's like writing your own obituary, you know, like what would you like to be said? What would you like to accomplish? And kind of using that sort of hypothetical lens really can help put things in perspective. And I want to jump into a couple of different things before we do. Carol, why don't you tell us about Luckworthy Goals? I would love to. I was thinking about, <laughs> I love Gay's story and I was, I actually didn't know where it was going to lead. I've never heard that story before. <laughs> and um, it's a great ending because the, you know, when you think about it, People don't realize that luck chases worthy goals. This is one of the things Gay and I would talk about. Like, how can your goals make you more lucky? How can they help with their own achievement? How can a goal like draw luck or success to you? And what we came up with that a luckworthy goal has three requirements. It lights you up. You are it just makes you the thing that you're going to be able to do or allows you to do in the process of achieving that goal is just the thing that makes you the happiest, that makes you, you do it if you didn't get paid a dime. So it lights you up. Your a goal that's luck worthy also is very meaningful. And that's, I think, what Gay was talking about with the five, you know, the five wishes that ended up becoming a book. What were the five things you'd want to accomplish in your life if you were up on your deathbed? And th- that means, you know, you, if you have a ladder up against a wall and you're climbing this ladder, you better make sure it's the right wall. So even before you start, you want to like look ahead. Will this be meaningful and satisfying to me? Does this really, you know, bring me closer to what I feel like I'm on this planet for? And then the last goal is kind of surprising. I call it the good karma effect. Do does your goal help you and others? If your goal doesn't help anyone else, it will. You can you know you can get you can definitely um, find success, but you won't get that added mojo of having some little bit of altruism there because. We call this, you know, when you do that, when you align yourself with the benevolence of the universe, with the way the universe works, the universe has your back. And we call them universal winks. You get some winks from the universe, synchronicities, things like gay experience when he was walking at the airport. Amazing things happen when you are in sync with the universe. So those three things, having luck-worthy goals will really help and attract luck. It gives luck a reason to visit. In fact, luck chases worthy goals. So it was um, it was a great discovery on our part and wonderful thing to add to the book because I don't think people have ever thought about goals in that way before. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's gonna be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. 
Yeah, it's it's definitely a powerful way to look at your goals. And I'm I'm just sitting here thinking about the last time I was involved in a project that really I felt was meaningful, lit me up, and also helped others. And it's it's definitely some of the best things that I've accomplished in my in my life. And the things that I look back whenever I'll see pictures of the, the event that we held for charity or like the different things we've done, it's always the memories that are kind of the fondest. But I do wanna I wanna kind of tag team this on into one of the ways we achieve conscious luck from the book, which is taking bold action consistently. So I could look at maybe a luck worthy goal and say, okay, does this check the boxes? Yes. It lights me up. It's meaningful and it helps others. How do we balance that with taking bold action? And does bold necessarily tie to, to scale? So for example, if my bold action is to feed a lot of people in my local community should I look at that and say it needs to be bolder? It needs to be more people or how, what's the kind of the relationship between setting these goals, but then also making sure that they're bold and we're taking um, bold action. Well, I think that a, a bold action is really anything that furthers the, the mission in a straightforward way. And so it could be a bold action could be making a soup and a, a bold action might be sponsoring a soup kitchen. And, you know, both of them are equivalent in the sense that it's an expression of your essence. It's an expression of your creative goal. And, and it does serve other people, even if the soup kitchen might serve a thousand people and your soup only serves three or four. And I'd like to jump in and say that bold action, in my mind, has to do with how uh, much outside your comfort zone it takes you. Doesn't re- it, it isn't, I'm measuring it from a different standard when I say bold. So how, you know, how have you done something that normally you would be afraid of, you would not want to take a risk? And it's been scientifically proven that when you do take more small risks, we're not talking about bungee jumping or, <laughs> sure. you know. Disclaimer. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not talking actually about physically. Uh, it could be being the first one out on the dance floor, saying, I'm sorry, asking for a promotion, standing up for something, anything that takes you out of your normal realm will put you in a place that you will meet, meet new uh, people, have different opportunities will come. It's, it expands your potential for luck. And for me, it meant, I call it 20 seconds of insane courage. And it has changed my life more than once. And my story comes about, I was uh, I wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul books in the 90s with Jack Canfield, but it was it started with a moment of incredible fear that I had to overcome to be able to get to that place because it changed my life. I was on one trajectory and then I became a Chicken Soup for the Soul co-author and now I live in Ojai and have a very different life that I would have had otherwise. And I had been directed to talk to a man who was writing Chicken Soup for the Pet Lover's Soul. I was going to edit his stories. And when I read the stories they were sent to me, I was so excited. It lit me up. I was apps and it's very purposeful for me. I was an animal welfare person. I said, I want to be a co-author in this book in my heart. I said that. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to talk to this guy. And so when he called, I said, there's good news and there's bad news. And he said, okay. I said, which do you want to hear first? He said, uh, good news. I said, the stories are amazing. Any animal lover is going to go crazy for these stories. And he said, great. So what's the bad news? And I said, I'm not going to do it unless I'm a co-author. And that was a big ask. It was very gutsy. And I thought, oh, my gosh. And he said, that's not going to happen. And that moment where I could have gone, okay, I need the money. I should just be an editor. I said, okay, well, where should I send the stories back to you? 
and I was willing to stand up for it. And he just went, wait, wait, wait. And we ended up, it was my first Chicken Soup for the Soul book. It led to, I have 15 books now, sold millions of copies. And it was that moment of 20 seconds of insane courage when I asked for what I wanted and then I didn't back down. And I wasn't mean. I wasn't, you know, aggressive. I was calm and I was sure of what I wanted. So this is, a, you know, maybe a, what do you call it, dramatic example. But it happens every day where we can look at those. You don't have to be brave all the time. You have to look for those windows of opportunity and then hurl yourself through them. That's an incredible story, Carol. And what a, I mean, what a powerful example in the sense that like literally a couple of sentences change the entire trajectory of your life. And I think that's, that's really kind of at the core of, of finding luck, or at least for me, when I, when I, when I hear all this, when I do this research, it's like, you never know what might be on the other end of that 20 seconds, right? Like, I mean, it could be anything and your willingness to go back to the beginning of the conversation, to be observant and to see it, but to stand firm while also acknowledging that what this opportunity could be. I mean, that's, that's luck right there. Right. And like in your, I mean, in, in the audience case, it might be a LinkedIn message. It might be a phone call that you know you need to make or you feel you need to make. And in, in your example, it might just be being straight and saying, this is what I want. And you know, if this isn't what you're going to give me, best of luck. It's a great book. Animal lovers are going to love it. But if you want me to be involved, this is what I need. And just not backing down. Right. And I do have to say that I, in the course of writing this book, I did a lot of thinking about lucky breaks versus lucky streaks. <laughs> and a lucky break, anyone can create but your lucky streak requires you to actually stick with it and, you know, have some talent, have abilities and go with it, you know, not just count on lucky breaks, but take your persistence and your, you know, so it's, this isn't magical thinking. I love to say Gary Gay's story of committing to luck was mind blowing for me. And I'd love for him to tell it because it's one of the best stories. It's the first story in the book of how he at a young age. And I wanted to say that that's the first step. It opens the door to the rest of the secrets. Gay, do you want to tell that story? I love it. The one about the theater. Uh, yeah, sure. But I also wanted to chain off one thing that you point you made, Carol, which I think is so important. Uh, in our seminars here, we teach that success is a lot about what you say yes to, but it is really about what you say no to. One of my entrepreneur mentors many years ago, Jerry Jones, said that the best deals he'd ever done were deals he didn't do. <laughs> things that he said no to that later on turned out to be a major disaster, some kind of thing that uh, took everybody down with them. So uh, saying no is a really critical function in life and that Carol was willing to say no and just walk off. That has tremendous amount of power to it. Um, and regarding the thing that happened when I was in the ninth grade. Yeah, this was life changing. I was in a movie theater and for some reason, it was some special thing. And they were giving uh, they're having a drawing for three prizes. And there was, I think, about 250 of us. And they put all of our tickets. They, we wrote our names on our tickets and put them into a big um, goldfish bowl. And then they had somebody come out and draw three prizes. Just before that happened, this kid that was sitting next to me, Danny, whom I knew a little bit, I didn't know him real well, but he went to the same school I did, leaned over and he said, watch, I'm going to win one of these. <laughs> okay. And so they did the drawing and sure enough, he won the top prize. He won the wristwatch, which in 1959 was a pretty cool thing. And so 
afterwards, I asked him, how did you do that? How did you know you were going to win? And he said, I always win stuff like that. He said, I just made up my mind one day that I was going to be one of the lucky ones. And I asked him to explain more. And he, he turned out he lived in, uh, he was from a family where one side of the family was kind of uh, downtrodden and the other side of the family did really well. And he said he realized that those folks thought of themselves as really lucky and the other folks thought of themselves as really unlucky. And so he decided, okay, I'm going to be one of the lucky ones. And so that was my first commitment too, to, I said, okay, I'm going to be one of the lucky ones too. And right after that happened, I had this amazing thing happen that uh, I, uh, on the street, I found a satchel, a briefcase that had a small fortune of a coin collection in it. And I was able to return it to the owner. And so I got a front page story in the newspaper, the boy that returned the fortune, you know. And so then the coin collector that the police had belonged to sent me a coin collection that was worth about $35, which to a kid that got 50 cents a week allowance, that was pretty darn good, you know. Yeah, and wow. so I, uh, that was a big imprint on me that has lasted my whole life, although I didn't get around to writing the book for about 50 years. Such a great story. I feel like we could we could probably sit here all day and kind of analyze all the big breaks we've had in our life. But I, I, I want to circle back real quick and change gears a little bit and to something that Carol said, and it's about kind of analyzing lucky breaks versus lucky streaks. And I think one of the key components to any sort of consistency in anything is the group around you, right? The people that you surround yourself with. And, and it's a weird time to be having this conversation because, you know, as we record this COVID-19 pandemic is hitting all time highs. Uh, we do have a vaccine coming, but it's, it's tougher to be around people, right? That, that sense of connection that we get from being in a large group is, is kind of altered in a lot of ways, I think permanently. And one of the things you all talk about is finding your lucky tribe. And I think that's just such a, it's such an important component to the long-term success of all these practices how do we find our lucky tribe? And then more specifically in, in this world we live in today, how do we stay connected to this tribe to make sure we keep our mindset right? We keep our motivation moving and we create more of these lucky streaks. Well, I'd like to take a first stab at this in that, you know, I feel even though we are in sort of a more virtual reality now because of uh, being locked down and, you know, trying to social distance, there is still and we've been moving towards this for years, there's a, a virtual community that has very, very deep feelings of connection. And it's it's not so much quant quantity as much as quality. The people around you, they've done studies, they absolutely affect so much about who you are. There's a quote, you can't have a positive life with a negative mind. And I think the same thing is true. You can't have a positive life with a negative community. It's very difficult. The people around you tend to drag you down or lift you up. Gay has a wonderful, um, gay, uh, one of the things I love about Gay's work is that it's so grounded in the body. It's a body-mind kind of approach to life. And he talks about the conspiracy. If are you, are you in a good luck conspiracy or a bad luck conspiracy? And conspiracy just means to breathe together. <laughs> in these days, it's kind of um, a, a word that's gotten a different <laughs> <laughs> meaning. Yeah. But when you conspire, you con, breathe, spire, breathe, and con together. So who are you breathing with? Who are you hanging with? Who are you 
taking in life and, you know, giving out opinions. Who are you with? And one of the ways that Gay and I recommend in the book is that you really tune into your physical response to people. Do you, you can go through your phone, you can go through your friends on Facebook, you can go through your address book. That was a dated thing, but you might still have an address book or something like that. And what is your initial feeling as soon as you see that person's name or their picture? Do you expand? Do you smile? Do your eyes light up? Or do you contract? Do you feel heavier? And this will give you a sense right now, right today, are the people who you want to spend more time with and the people you want to spend less time with. And you don't have to cut those negative or less, those people that shrink you. You don't have to cut them out of your life. You could be related to them. You could live with them. <laughs> you could, you know, work with them. But you do know being aware of that will definitely help you. Um, sometimes people aren't just, you know, we trade victim stories with people, you know, like the awful eyes. And sometimes people who make us contract are people who sort of don't support our best self, who don't support our dreams. And so we just, we stop participating in the victimization stories. Just that's something you can do even if you can't stop being around those people. And we don't talk about our dreams and goals with people who are, you know, people who reign on our parade. So there's very, very positive and clear, practical things we can do with this knowledge of who's in our lucky community and who's not. Yeah, you always know people around you that when you're with them, you can breathe more freely, you can speak more freely, you feel more at ease. I always tell my students to focus their social life on three to five people who make your face light up when you walk in the room or whose faces light up when you walk in the room. You don't need 300 friends. Maybe on Facebook, it's fine to have 3 million <laughs> friends, but what you really want is four or five people whose faces light up every time you walk in the room. Yeah, I feel like it's 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 very super impactful. And I think that having those five people around, I think, Carol, your point too, to where we don't need to necessarily completely cut off ties to these people that aren't in that five people or five, that group of five, but we don't really need to take a lot of stock and allow ourselves to be emotionally changed by people outside of that five. And I think that's so critical too, because I've heard in a lot of books and a lot of interviews we've done, I've, I've actually heard, you know, no, you need to cut all negativity out of your life. And in some cases, like you said, I mean, you're related to these people. You can't, you can't just say, sorry, you, you know, you're not checking my box right now, get out. But I do think it's, it's something really important to aspire to. And I think that it's really, you really need to be careful these days whose advice you take and whose you don't. And if you look at someone and they don't light you up and they're not living the kind of life that you would want to live, it's okay to hear them out, but probably not the advice you want to act on. And I think you said something really beautiful is that, you know, we can't cut everybody. I don't think it's a strength to only surround yourself with people. I mean, in, in your work life, and you have to be able to maintain your inner light, even when there's darkness around. And I think it's uh, people who are so, actually, we talked about this. Somebody asked us a question. What about those people who, you know, are so positive, they won't ever entertain anything negative? And we talked about being authentic and real. You don't want to commiserate with people and wallow, but you also don't want to be around people who we call, you know, who are like militantly positive, who won't even address reality. Um, that's that, it's equally damaging and equally contracting. So it's a matter of the people who really love you and who really support your best self know that you might have a, a place in your life where you're going through roughness, but they'll listen and then they'll help you move on to what you want to be and where you want to be. 
I want to talk real quickly because I know we're, we're running out of time here, but there's, there's another topic that I think is super important and really close to my heart. And that's practicing radical gratitude and appreciation. And it, if you don't mind, I'll, I'd like to share a quick story of my own, but it just kind of ties all these things together. But when I was, this must've been 10 years ago, I was kind of looking for uh, a new role, a new job, and wasn't really sure what it was going to be. It wasn't like time specific, but I was just kind of unhappy. wasn't sure what I was going to do. And I had this strange inclination one day and I, I had a, a mentor of mine when I was in college. I had this internship and I was a sophomore and this um, this mentor of mine, she was great. And I, I had bus tables, never really had a corporate job or any sort of like business type job. And my big project for the internship was at the end of this, uh, end of the summer, I had to present this deck about what I had done to like the VP of this major company, right? Which for like a 20 year old is like, I mean, cue my cold sweats right now. My palms are getting sweaty just talking about it. And so on week one of my inter- of my in- uh, internship, she had me start building this deck, right? And every week we'd meet for like a weekly checkup and we'd meet at this Starbucks outside of Memphis. And she would have me stand up at eight o'clock in the morning at Starbucks and go through this deck and basically just present to anyone who wanted to sit down. And I was petrified. But by the end of the summer, I had an incredible deck. My personal, my public speaking spills had gone through the roof. I was the youngest guy in the internship and I crushed it. And I, I was just thinking about her one day uh, about 10 years ago and I just called her. I still had her cell phone number and I was just like, Jamie, you know, uh, how are you doing? Like this is Austin. I, I hope you've been doing well. I just wanted to call and let you know that you made a, an impact that summer on my life that has, has served me extremely well over the course of my career. And I just want you to know that like, I think about you often and you really made a difference in my life. And she, I I don't know what was going on, but something had happened with her family and like she broke into tears and we just got to talking and we kind of stayed in, in, in touch and turned out that there was a job opening a couple of weeks later. And she reached out to me and was like, I have no idea what you're doing, but if you'd like to interview for this job, you know, we'd love to have you. And, and in the end, it ended up not being the right opportunity for me. Nothing came of it, but like just through practicing, like, you know, I, I hadn't talked to her in a decade and just happened to have the number called her like this opportunity opened up to me that ultimately didn't pan out, but was just conceived out of gratitude and nothing else. Beautiful. You know, it's funny. Gabe made a distinction that I had never made before. Is gratitude something you feel and appreciation is something you do. And you've talked about this. Your gratitude caused you to express appreciation. And express appreciation is one of the most important things you can do for success and for luck and for your own you know, feelings of connection with people. It fosters collaboration and deeper relationships. And it makes you stand out. And I'm sort of a more Oga Booga person. It also creates open-heartedness, which makes you more attractive as a human being. And that thing that you just talked about, where you reached out to her without any, there was absolutely no thought of gain. It was from a deep, true, authentic place in you that you wanted to tell her. And that will make big differences in your life to be that kind of person that does that. Appreciation is a big secret in luck, in the practical and gratitude is a big secret and feeling lucky on every level. How do you all practice gratitude and appreciation in your everyday lives? Well, one thing I was just reflecting on with your story, Austin, was a magic moment in my life. I had a minister in a 
a youth day at the Methodist Church in Florida when I was about 15. We went to this youth day, and this minister made this incredible speech that just rearranged my brain cells, basically. And I don't know where they got this minister, but he was definitely not a Southern Methodist-type minister because he said, hey, kids, all your life people are going to try to get you to conform to buy the right major appliance to have 2.5 kids and to you know basically do life by the script and he said be very wary of that because every time you trade security for letting go of one of your precious life goals you diminish yourself and finally there won't be anything left of you so make sure you stay alive with those goals you have that may be different from everybody else's. And it was pretty electrifying thing to to say <laughs> to, to any group, but back in 19, whatever it was, uh, 60 or something like that. <laughs> but uh, it, it really made my hair stand on it in a way. And I thought about it so much and used that to build my life. And so one day when I was in my 30s, suddenly it occurred to me, my gosh, I've never thanked this minister whose name turned out to be J. Wallace Hamilton. So I did some, had to do some kind of detective work to find out where he was and that kind of thing, or if he was still alive. And it so happened that he had passed on, but I was able to contact his widow. And I had this amazing conversation with her where I told her how much this had changed my life. And at that very time, she told me that she had just been sitting there wondering if her life had really had any meaning. And, you know, she was 83 years old or something like that. And then this call comes in, you know, and it, it ended up to be a wonderful relationship where she ended up sending me some of his books and that kind of thing. So it was really uh, turned out to be something that I'll be thinking about all of my life. And so just that reaching out, however you can do it, it has so much reward to it. And I've now made it kind of a practice to do that whenever I think about it. But uh, I remember that w one moment vividly because it happened to come in in a moment where she really valued it. I think it's probably safe to say there's no downside to reaching out to someone and expressing the gra this gratitude. And like, I think that the very minimum, like the very, very, very minimum that can happen is you're going to feel great about it and have a great day. The biggest thing that could come out of it might be something that completely changes your life for the better for the rest of it. Yeah. Tina, Tennis Selig tells a really, I'll tell it briefly, a story about a guy who, you know, they turned down people for their programs at Stanford, you know, routinely. And he'd gotten, re and sometimes she gets letters saying, you know, could I have done better? Uh, how could I, have, you know, how could I get it next time I apply? This one man just had been turned down twice. And a young man said, I just want to thank you. It was an amazing experience. I learned a lot from it. And she remembered that guy because it was so gracious and so, you know, big of him. And they, they ended up connecting. She reached out to him. She had a program that she thought would be good for him. And they ended up doing something where they worked with, uh, they, this, they formed a little nonprofit together. And it was incredible. And it was all because this man was so clear. He did this and she started doing it too. Of every day at the end of her day, she writes a thank you email to people who she had met that day. She does a little inventory and always she says, I believe, believe me, it has improved my luck, you know, thousandfold. Yeah, I'll tell you another amazing story is that 
one time, and I'm just now forgetting the gentleman's name. It goes back 30 years, but he was the top interviewer, the top uh, lie detector interviewer for the FBI. And in the context of that, had been present while more than 3,000 people confessed to some crime as a result of his uh, lie detective work. And so what did he learn from this? Well, for one thing, every holiday time, he gets flooded with Christmas cards from people in prison still thanking him for having been there when they confessed their crime. I, I found that so hard to believe that I went up and talked to him after the talk. And I said, really? You know, you're not just BSing us. It turns out uh, he has this whole collection of hundreds of Christmas cards from people saying, Thank you. That changed my life. Even though I'm in prison, I feel so much better that I'm glad I did it. So <laughs> let that be a lesson wow. to all of us to be really transparent before we end up in jail and appreciating it, just appreciating <laughs> the possibility right now. Oh, my. Well, you guys, this has been a great conversation. Before we go, I want to be respectful of your time, but we'll, we'll definitely do it again soon. But what's what's one piece of homework you would give the audience? For me, it would be just to run that idea, that commitment idea through your mind, just float through your mind every day or two. I commit to being luckier every day of my life. Just float that through your mind. Maybe even write it down. Maybe even put it on your dashboard. Maybe put it on your mirror at home. But just this idea, keep it alive. And there are a number of other approaches in the book, but that'll really get you started. And I was going to say, it's going to sound so uh, shamelessly self-promoting, but really, I recommend you get this book because well, everything <laughs> we've talked about, Conscious Luck, and I also want to say that Conscious Luck Workbook is going to be out. We took everything in Conscious Luck and made a workbook. So if you go to ConsciousLuck.com, you can find out about it. But, you know, when you make a commitment to being lucky, everything that's stopping you, everything comes up. This is stupid. This can't work. And anything that you're that comes up that feels like you can't be lucky is really stopping you in every part of your life. So this commitment is just the very first thing of exploring your own relationship to luck. How do you feel about it? You know, do you feel you deserve to be lucky? Are you worthy of luck? And this can really, really change the trajectory when you get clear and authentic about your own luck and your own worthiness of luck. Well, Carol Gay, this has been a great conversation. Thank you again for putting up with all the scheduling missteps we have and for the time today. I'd love to do it again sometime, and we'll be sure to link to all of your social media profiles, websites, and of course, the book and the workbook and all the show notes as well. So for those listening right now, go to the website and check that out. Gay, Carol, thank you so much for the time and for coming on the Science of Success. Thank you. Thank you it was so wonderful. Much. Thank you so much for listening to the Science of Success. We created the show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T -T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. 
Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or if you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success.